Are you pregnant or a new parent looking to ensure a better postpartum experience? Or are you a birth worker looking to improve your postpartum care skills? Check out Thriving After Birth, an online self-paced course by me, midwife and educator Tanya Tringali. It's 10 and a half hours of video content featuring experts in lactation, mental health, pelvic floor health, pediatric sleep issues. You also get worksheets and a workbook, as well as options to have a one-on-one session with me. Sign up at motherwitmaternity.com slash thriving, and let's improve postpartum care together. ago on the first episode of season three we talked to Kristen Ross about how she approached exclusive pumping for her twins so in a similar vein I want to share a conversation with another client who combo fed her baby and what was at the root of her decision making around this where she started and where she landed Also, interestingly enough, she too is a new member of the birth world, having recently sat her exam to become a certified lactation counselor. I think you will hear right away, as I did, that she wasn't talking to me in the voice of a new mom. She was wearing her professional hat already, so it's clear that she's about to become a huge asset to her community. I'm so excited to have her today. Oh, and a gentle reminder that nothing we discuss on this show should ever be considered medical advice. Please speak to your local provider about anything that comes up in this show that resonates with you and your needs and your health care. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, yeah, I'm so glad uh, to be chatting. I know it's been a long time since I've seen your face, but not that long because you called me to have a chat, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, So at least I got to see your face one time since you finished the program. Mm -hmm. Um, So do me a favor. Let's start by having you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, whatever it is that you feel comfortable sharing as an introduction, and then we'll we'll take it from there. Yes. So my name's Andrea. I actually live in Indianapolis. I'm in gorgeous Colorado right now. Um, visiting family, but uh, my husband and I, during COVID, found out we were pregnant and then also found out that the house we just bought had to be completely demolished. So we, you know, knew we needed some help postpartum. I remember looking for kind of like COVID resources, like baby was coming and we weren't really sure what boundaries we needed to set with family or like what we were comfortable with related to COVID. And that's kind of how I stumbled upon, upon you. Um, and Amelia was like, yes, you know, I know my own mental health and I just want to set us up for success after a really, really wild year in pregnancy. You know, one of those times you're like, this is a hallmark, this is a hallmark year and that's before we had the baby. <laughs> so uh, we had my son Sullivan in February of 2021. So he is almost a year and a half. I think he's almost, I always have to look at the date now. It's so funny. Like before a year, I could tell you exactly how old he is. And now I'm like, oh, he's like a year and a half almost when I look at the date. Um, And yeah, it's been so many things from the first few months that we have just applied over and over and over again because babies change so fast and you're constantly kind of relying on those skills. So that's why I'm like super excited to talk about everything I learned from working with you. 
Yeah, well, that is why one of the things that I share with people, and I've probably said so many times on this podcast, is I just, I really encourage people to stick with a spirit of experimentation. And I remind people to think in two-week intervals, because everything changes so fast that the second your brain says, oh my God, this is forever, this is the rest of my life, you can't cope. But if you think sometime in the next two weeks, the situation is very likely to evolve into something else. It could be better. It could be worse, right? We don't know. So I tend to ask people like, is this sustainable, what we just put into place for the next two weeks, right? That's kind of my motto these days. And I don't know if it was that clear at the time we were working with each other. I've gotten more and more clarity the more people that I do this with. Um, Okay, so I actually want you to tell us, well, let me back up and say, you were eager from my understanding of this, to share your story with our listeners. I believe that you reached out to me and said, hey, if you ever want to talk about combo feeding, I want to do it. And with that said, I would love it if you would tell me and our listeners why you were so eager to share your story, because I think it'll help frame the conversation and also keep me with my COVID brain on track for the goals of this conversation. Yeah, so I am super passionate about combo feeding, partly because I think in our early postpartum, you know, you're just like so fresh and like nervous and scared. You're just overwhelmed as a new parent. And combo feeding really became this way where I got to like choose what we were gonna do, like how we were gonna feed our baby, what our lifestyle was gonna look like, you know, day to day, how you feed your baby really does impact like how do I leave the house? How do I travel? You know, what do our nights look like? And so I'm I love sharing the story. Sully, my my son had quite an interesting feeding journey early on. It took about he was his four month appointment where he was on a growth curve and combo feeding really was that key to I don't know, relieving our anxiety and just helping him thrive and you know get back on the weight gain that he needed to be on and it happened in a way that also felt like we could impact that you know before it felt like so overwhelming and combo feeding was this key that as he you know grew and reached a year we still were able to two-week intervals or you know maybe more like a month um really manage just yeah what our life looked like and and how he was able to progress I have my memory from my perspective. And I also think of your story in two segments, and Mm -hmm. we'll kind of get to that later. I think about this in terms of the early days, weeks, maybe even months loosely, Mm -hmm. where you didn't have a full understanding of what was causing some of the issues that Sully was having. And then there's the time period after. And once you understand, your confidence grows. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I think this discussion is so important, I think it's important from where you sit to talk to people about how combo feeding can work for people and why yeah. it can work for people. From where I sit, I see it as part of our job is transparency, is mm-hmm. really being open with families about what we see going on, involving as many helpers as we can, yeah. and helping people get that clear picture. Because you growing in confidence with the situation was one of the most empowering things for me to see. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that is also, I mean, we, I felt like it was such a great partnership because something my husband and I talked about while we were pregnant is we just want to be present as parents. Like, it is so hard when you're overwhelmed. Like, you just feel like you are going day to day sometimes. You're not actually present in there. And yeah, I completely agree. I think we reached this transition where I could look back and be like, wow, we had a lot of support. We had a team. And so it all, all kind of started... Um, 
Looking back at my lactation care in the hospital, I won't, I won't go too far into this, but I was not a fan looking back now. I didn't know it at the time, but um, my lactation support in the hospital was pretty poor. Um, no one ever fully observed a feeding, I realized. No one sat with us and watched a full feeding, which is kind of a red flag for me um, for lactation support. That's huge. Um, but baby had some jaundice. Sully had some jaundice when we came home after um, going to the pediatrician and we supplemented with formula, got his weight back up. He was not back to birth weight yet, but um, my supply was in and I was able to pump. I think I was like pumping quite a lot actually. I mean, I remember being maybe like a month and a half, two months in, and I was pumping like five ounces her side in the middle of the night. Um, so my supply was definitely, definitely in. Oh, I should also add, I had a breast reduction like five or six years before having Sully. And so I think that really with my lactation support in the hospital, that was their overarching concern was that I had had a surgery. And so we weren't, and I knew this going in, like I was totally fine with not being able to breastfeed at all. You just don't know where that anatomy is at, what's recovered, what hasn't possibly after surgery. Um, but that really, I think in the first month, clouded the lactation support I received at the hospital and maybe my pediatrician a bit as well because they expected a delay or a low supply. And then I think for me though, well, I'm, I'm remembering this as you say it, I was so thrilled at your milk supply. Yeah that I remember thinking like, well, this is odd. We're having this problem and we thought we overcame the most obvious yeah. issue. And yet that didn't end up being it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and, and Sully's weight gain, or sorry, not waking weight loss at the beginning was, is like pretty typical, like not uncommon. He was, we saw the pediatrician on day, it was like four or five. He was born in the afternoon. So I'm always like, was it day four or five um, of life? And he was down 10%. So the rule of thumb is normally around 7% that you start supplementing, but 10%, it wasn't anything absolutely crazy, you know? Like he had clearly been getting food um, and whatnot. Uh, so we knew there was something there and we just thought it was a bit delayed. We supplemented over the weekend and his weight gain, he was going up at an increment that he should be gaining. It was then from, it was like the weeks two, three, and four, it was his one month appointment that things had started going downhill um, and at his one month appointment, I believe he was 12% lost still. So he was actually smaller at his one month appointment than he was on day like four of life. And that um, must have been terrifying. Yeah, it's like you don't really know why. And I will also add, I am horrible with numbers. I like math dyslexia. Like it means n numbers don't mean anything to me. And so I remember at first being like, why is the nurse like so quiet? She went from being, you know, like happy and bubbly to like, like I couldn't do the, the math that this was a, a huge loss. And I didn't remember what he was before. So, um, so yeah, so it was kind of a shock and we we're like, well, what's going on? Cause I'm feeding this baby all the time, which is now I know is a super common. If you're having some weight loss issues, oftentimes these babies are feeding constantly and they're very sleepy. So I was feeding him like 12 to 14 times a day, but they were really long feedings, which is the main thing that I think was a red flag. Well, another thing that might be a confounder here, because again, I'm assuming, I can't remember every moment of our interactions, that we were talking about babies' pees and poops occasionally. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure your pediatrician was too. Yeah. And so you had a baby that was meeting our general criteria mm -hmm. while still losing weight. He was, yes. 
And it's so interesting too. So I, I haven't mentioned this yet, but I just finished um, the Center uh, for Healthy Children's Breastfeeding Lactation course for certified lactation consultants. And they mention a suggestion. I don't think there's been research yet about in the first month of life, not relying on wet diapers. So I was induced and he came out this like super chunky, well hydrated baby. I mean, looking back at his newborn photos, he was full of fluid. And so I, I now wonder, I'm like, well, was he still just, you know, were the, a lot of those diapers still just fluid from induction and from pregnancy and labor and everything as well? Because he was, he came out chunky. I mean, he came out full of big cheeks that he then lost. So it's funny that you mentioned that as you were starting your story, I didn't want to interrupt you. So I wrote it down that oh, I wanted yeah. to circle back to this. But um, when you talked about 7% versus 10% weight loss, I wanted to... I think you probably know this. It sounds like exactly what you're saying. But for our listeners, I want to share this piece of information that I think everyone needs to know. But it doesn't Mm -hmm. account for what what you found at the month visit. That's just too far out for that to be true. Babies that are born, and since most babies in the United States are born in hospitals, and most people who have babies in hospitals have IV fluids, um, some wonderful person, I'll have to go pull the study and put it in the show notes, did a great study showing that people that get a certain amount of IV fluids Mm -hmm. will ultimately increase their baby's weight, but only the fluid compartment, which makes perfect sense. So Mm -hmm. then they're going to pee off more. And that's why sometimes we use 10% as a marker instead of 7%, because we need to create some wiggle room here for why a baby might lose more and still be normal. With that said, your trajectory, right, had this really slow path towards, like you said, Mm -hmm. at four weeks, you're looking at 12% weight loss. And you're like, what's going on here, right? So Mm -hmm. that's where the real homework starts for you in terms of the detective work that you had to do to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. And I would say too, it's also, it was also hard because we got one weight in the hospital. So we also didn't have a lot of data. Like I've heard about people getting 24 hour weights or discharge weights because we were there over 48 hours in the hospital. We just got like nothing. And then we found out his bilirubin was super high. So we knew he wasn't eating enough as well. And, um, and looking back now, like, oh, I wish I knew to ask for that. You know, you don't, you don't know and you can't go backwards, but we just, yeah, we didn't have a lot to work with. We had like his birth weight, you know, his first pediatrician appointment in one month. And from there, we saw a lactation consultant in person. And I think that was like the real key because we knew something wasn't lining up. And I remember talking with you, Tanya, that probably that day, that afternoon after his pediatrician appointment, and you're like, there has, you know, there has to be another piece that we're missing because we know your milk supply is there. And I was nursing constantly, which kept it there, thankfully. You know, I had that ability, yeah. that my body had that ability to, despite my surgery that nursing him constantly kept it there, um, but that he wasn't able to receive it. So I had, per your suggestion, found a lactation consultant before giving birth. And I think also that was mm-hmm. huge because you can do a lot over virtual, but when you you know have something like this, you need to quickly have someone you can call that you know, you know is reliable. And so I had found through someone in our pediatrician's office, um, wonderful lactation consultants to the Indy area with their IBCLCs with lots of uh, experience, extensive like additional trainings. And so we were able to see, it was Monica, I think we saw her within like two days, which I remember feeling like forever. You know, like when your baby has something that's, you're like, I don't know what's going on. I'm feeding them like 14 times a day. That two days felt like a lifetime. Um, But she was able to come in and assess physically what was going on with Sully. 
And I remember her doing a breast crawl. That was like the first thing we did. She showed up and he's like screaming. And she's like, hold on, you're like, don't feed him yet. We need to get a weight. And you're just like, hold on one second. Cause again, constantly feeding this child. Um, and she put him on my stomach to see, was he even you know, able to move up towards my chest or show interest in feeding? Cause he was just, you know, he was just screaming. Like there weren't really any feeding cues, I would say. When you have a baby who's really sleepy, I mean, you're constantly feeding them, but really you're feeding them by the clock. You're not feeding them by cues. It right, and you're dealing with... the timer. <laughs> yes, and you're dealing with a baby who's conserving energy, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard. You know, even slightly underfed babies can be extra sleepy. I mean, newborns are sleepy, but then underfed babies, it just really, really, really makes it hard for them to stay awake for a full feeding. Even if you get those early feeding cues, you know, rooting. And I'll also say like, I, I had this baby on my chest, like all the time, you know, I was just, it was winter. I was like topless at home with a baby on my chest all the time, trying yep. to look for these feeding cues. Um, and, and yeah, he, he was, he was very tired. And so we fed based on the clock once we know his weight loss, um, was going to be a major issue. And so constantly setting alarms. And that, I mean, we set alarms, I set alarms until he was like five months. Cause it became, a pattern and like a way of like, this is how we have to feed him for quite a while. Um, we'd set alarms. And I remember too, when the lactation consultant came in person, she said, you really like, you can't trust that baby. She's like, he, <laughs> I remember she left. She's like, he's kind of lying to you. Cause he's just so tired that he can't show you correct cues. And that was mm -hmm. also correct fullness cues. I remember cause you know, he was so tired. He just kind of collapsed. He would fatigue during a feeding for the wrong reasons. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I'd say there's probably, without a weighted feed, I don't really know how you would have been able to tell, you know, unless you're checking his weight before and after to see how much he was consuming because he, I mean, he was just like that tired and culturally we think, oh, sleepy babies are good babies. And that's what every new parent wants. We were, you know, doing fine. Like we weren't like, oh my gosh, what is this screaming child we brought home? Like most of the time that was absolutely not the case. Um, so the fact that she was able to come in and say, you know, you're doing everything right. You're just getting, you know, you're not getting the cues on when to feed him because he's not able to give them to you. Let's set an alarm. Let's, you know, track more. Um, we did, I did a few more weighted feeds after she had left and we got, um, a scale, which really helped give us some peace of mind just because otherwise it felt like, I don't know what I'm doing for a little bit. Um, but the other big thing that we learned when our lactation consultant came um, was that Sully had a really restricted mouth. And so because I had a breast reduction, I have like pretty limited sensitivity. And you know, if you've never breastfed a baby, like you don't know what it's going to feel like. Completely different stimulation um, than anything else. And so I didn't ever have any nipple pain. I didn't have any nipple bruising, cracking, bleeding, nothing. And I couldn't feel very much. Um, but he wasn't able to remove milk appropriately because his mouth was so restricted. So the combination of my reduction and then also his kind of oral impairment was just this like perfect little storm. And if our lactation consultant wasn't you know, extra trained to come in and look at his mouth and say, this baby has like no suck reflex. I, I could not tell that he was not sucking enough to remove milk. So you're using some language that I think our listeners might need expanded upon because you're not saying the words tongue tie 
but you're saying restricted. Yeah. So I want you to elaborate on what you learned yeah. about Sally's mouth and what that really means. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I say I, I try not to use the word tongue tie only because I think that is not descriptive enough to describe everything I learned, like you mentioned. Um, if you had looked at his mouth, you'd say, yes, it's tied. His tongue is really tight on the bottom of his mouth, and his upper lip could not flange at all because it was restricted. But I say he had oral restriction because he could not move his tongue appropriately. So he couldn't, um, he had a number of reflexes that would not, you know, fire or whatnot to feed. And so we learned this later when working in feeding therapy. I, I use oral restriction because I think it describes more of what was actually happening. He was not able to move his mouth to remove milk. It had nothing to do with what his mouth looked like, which is often what you hear with tongue tie. People look in a baby's mouth and say, oh yeah, it's tied based on a visual. We later learned, even after he had a revision from working with a speech language pathologist, he had so many other reflex issues in his mouth. So babies really early on, like preemie babies, feed off of reflexes primarily. Um, it's not, I mean, it's a learned skill, but it's kind of how you can dream feed up until, you know, maybe they're four months and all of a sudden dream feeding is like no longer a thing. He was never able to do that because he didn't have the space in his mouth for his tongue to remove milk and he also didn't have the reflexes to have enough suck or have enough mobility to feed essentially because he also couldn't use a bottle i haven't mentioned that yet but he could not use a bottle either he would just dribble out the sides of his mouth because he had no suck he couldn't form a seal at all even on a bottle nipple a variety of bottle nipples so it was it was much more than saying oh he had a tongue tie we snipped it and it was fine like it was an actual retraining of his mouth that needed to happen through a, through a, another professional that we ended up seeing. So I will link our listeners to a previous episode from season one. It's actually two episodes. There's a client who had a baby that had multiple revisions and it didn't solve the problem. We followed that episode with one of my favorite lactation consultants who is a tongue tie expert. She actually calls herself the tongue tie expert on Instagram. And she unpacked that for us a bit in a following episode. So I think that that is information that if this is interesting to you as you're listening to Andrea, you may want to go back and check out those episodes. I'm also going to pause and tell our listeners something I wasn't going to get to till the end. But Andrea, you are sounding so knowledgeable and professional that I would be remiss if I didn't point out now. And we can go back to your story here in a minute that you are making some like professional shifts in your life that involve lactation because of your experience. And I have to say, it is so clear to me how much knowledge you have already gained. You're speaking like a professional and not like a mom. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So let's pause there and talk about how that came to be. And then I actually have yeah. some more specific questions about your baby and your situation. Yeah. So we can kind of look at the, the trajectory of how this has played out. But tell us a little bit about how you decided that you wanted to make this professional shift and where you're at in the process. Yeah, so I really felt drawn to getting a, you know, a certification. So I'm starting, I, I sat for my certified lactation consultant certification um, like two weeks ago. So I have a few more weeks before I'll get the results back. But I really have this passion for working with combo feeding families um, because, you know, Sully's journey, it was a four-month feeding journey. It was long. You know, it was so long. 
And I, you know, didn't really interact with the world, but then I made a lot of new mom friends who had their own breastfeeding journeys and some of them weren't going great and they felt like they had to give up on breastfeeding. You know, they felt like they were failing and I was like, oh, I was just there and we were like in the thick of it and you absolutely don't have to do that. I mean, I did not tell them this because we were friends at the time, you know, new friends at the time, but like looking back, I was like, they did not have to give up because pumping wasn't working at work. You know, they didn't have to give up because they were having a surgery coming up and they felt like, you know, breastfeeding was still right for their family, which is exactly how I felt. You know, I was like breastfeeding just because my child is an inefficient feeder and it's taking him four months to be able to efficiently breastfeed and bottle feeding for a while. That wasn't going great either. You know, it didn't feel like that was a solution. Um, There's just so much more nuance and having the, the chance to say this is what works for my family, that was so much more valuable than anything else to say, you know, breastfeeding works for my family. It really does. Like, it takes a long time, and my child is, you know, having to learn a lot of new skills to feed. But it works for my family. You know, formula also works for my family because my child needs more nutrition, and triple feeding was burning me out. So I needed to have another source of nutrition for him. And so that, that power was... I mean, that's just like indispensable. That was, that's the like ability to have perspective as a parent that my husband and I always wanted to have. Yeah. Wow. That's quite the answer. And (laughs) I, I feel like it hasn't been that long since we had this conversation about what direction you were going to go, but you have plowed through the work and gotten it done quickly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I did. (laughs) Thankfully, I had a good time. (laughs) That's amazing. I'm so impressed. Like, I didn't know we were going to talk today and you were going to have already sat your exam. I mean, I really had no idea that it was coming that fast. So I was planning to like wrap up on the note of like, you want to make this professional shift. And meanwhile, you are like in it, girl. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. I mean, I I learned so much through being, I mean, I was... I I was a a history major in college, so I read a lot. I do a lot of research. That's just kind of how my brain works, even if it's not numbers, like research is my thing. And so we had used all of our insurance, you know, free lactation consultings on the bulk of the work that Sully needed to do, the bulk of what we needed the absolute professionals for. But combo feeding took so many twists and turns and I was scared that I was accidentally weaning, you know, like how many times I was, Mm -hmm. I told my husband, that's it, we're done. You know, we're not breastfeeding anymore, whatever. And that wasn't the case. And, you know, I went to, to read more about how how breastfeeding works and just what options I have and how formula works. And that, that again, that's why I think combo feeding can be so empowering because there's so many varieties and ways it can look for every family that I went, I went to the books and then, you know, it was easy to get through my lactation course. Thankfully I did. I must've read the right things because I did go quite a bit faster. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely want you to unpack the various ways combo feeding can look for people. But before we do that, I want to finish your personal story and what I feel like we haven't really talked about yet. And there may be other pieces that you want to add in and I might be jumping ahead. But we've talked a lot about the breastfeeding piece of it. Mm -hmm. But other than mentioning that he had trouble with bottles, um, I'm not yet clear as you tell the story on how the how and when formula becomes part of the equation. I'm having memories from our conversations Mm -hmm. about multiple feeding methods that you tried, but these other feeding methods can be super exhausting. And I can't imagine that any of those remained the way you fed him throughout. So tell us a little bit more about the use of formula and all of that. Yeah. Yep. So initially we did actually, we didn't use formula. Um, After 
speaking with our lactation consultant, she saw you know how hard it was for him to take a bottle and we fed him with a bottle like you would feed a preemie so we had to hold it was so hard for me because i have much smaller hands than my husband but you would hold his cheeks on the side and you would support his chin to bottle feed him and she said you know i like it just took so long and it was quite a setup it was very awkward to to get right and so she had me using an sns i believe from the beginning because he was so much calmer at the breast and so we had a I use like the Medela clip-on um, supplemental nursing system as an SNS where I would pump after a feeding and fill up a bottle, clip it onto my shirt, and then use, it's almost like a teeny tiny feeding tube into his mouth, which is also very difficult because his mouth did not function correctly. So you had to line it up just right. You know, you couldn't, he didn't have a suck reflex. So you couldn't just put the tube in his mouth. You really had to line it up right. And he would get extra nutrition through that and so that was how we triple fed for a while at first so i would nurse him each side i think we did 20 minutes of breastfeeding i would use the sns and then we do like 20 minutes of pumping or i would do a bottle of pumped milk afterwards but that got really hard triple feeding the one thing too i wish i looking back and i remember being like when is this going to end like triple feeding just felt like never ending so after his revision he had his tongue released by a pediatric dentist who specializes it in our area his tongue and his upper lip after that breastfeeding was going well so we completely exclusively breastfed for about two weeks until his weight did not keep going up <laughs> it went up for a little bit and then it really started to um i'd say plateau i don't think it completely started dive bombing like it had before but it really plateaued right but plateauing at that age is right we expect babies to be growing rapidly up upwards of an yes. ounce a day right so that's mm -hmm. a big deal yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so, so we're like, okay, got to call the lactation consultant again. She came back um, and said, okay, there is a lot of inconsistency in how much he is transferring. So it, before it had been like half an ounce. After his revision, it was like four ounces. And then a week later, he was back to maybe half an ounce. It was so variable. And again, that's because later we learned he just didn't have he didn't have reflexes. He didn't have any like strength in his mouth to feed consistently 10 times a day. And so again, we were triple feeding. And I think sometimes that's where I started using formula. It was maybe around like the third month where I had been triple feeding for on and off, you know, depending on where we're at in the story, on and off for like three weeks. And that was where I was like, okay, I don't think I can pump every single time after a feeding. And so we would use formula in the evening, you know, when my supply would have been naturally a bit lower. I could eat dinner, which was a key because there's just no time to even like eat. I mean, I would like maybe shower for like, like a five minute shower. I remember taking like power showers. Um, but using formula allowed me to like eat dinner or like just not have a baby on me 24 seven. And so I added some formula in, but I wasn't combo feeding. I was just saying, I don't wanna pump this session. You know, I wasn't saying, this is how we're choosing to feed our baby. It was, oh, I'm not pumping, so I have to use formula. And I was just like barely keeping up with how much supplementation he needed from pumping because it was, I mean, pumping like eight, 10 times a day after every feeding was, again, there's just no time left in the day. And so that is where I, I think we stayed at that through talking with the, working with the feeding therapist, the, the SLP that we worked with for maybe like five weeks. I was still trying to triple pump, or sorry, 
triple feed by pumping. I'd even like rented a symphony pump, which I did love. It was fantastic. I felt so spoiled, but um, I, like, I was dedicated to try and make the pumping work. And finally I was like, there is not enough, there's just not enough energy. I mean, we were at like three and a half months now and I was just so burnt out. So I would like stay up till 11 and pump and do his exercises and his stretches and hang out and then wake up again at like two because we got one four hour stretch. So like we fed him like a newborn up until four months because we were still setting the clock. Like he still really couldn't be trusted yet. He wasn't efficient enough. And so that formula became just a, oh, I need a little break. It wasn't, this isn't working for me anymore. This isn't sustainable. We don't know when he's gonna be completely feeding efficiently. It felt more like, a, oh, I'm not doing everything I can be doing. It was, I don't know, not like a cop-out, but it didn't feel like failure. It just felt like a, oh, I need a break kind of thing. I wasn't really recognizing that the triple feeding was so unsustainable for me at that point, having done it for like two months then. Like I wasn't, I didn't have the perspective to say, we need a long-term solution. Yeah. And I think that's where our relationship kind of ended or our, you know, our plan, uh, our postpartum plan with you, Tanya, ended uh, was, okay, what is the long-term plan? Because I was just getting so burnt out. And that's where we said, let's look at, well, no, actually, I did not say let's look at combo feeding. I remember sobbing on the phone to you and say, okay, we're going to wean. <laughs> and uh-huh. you said, and you said, oh my, man, I totally forgot this. Yeah, I was convinced that we were just going to completely wean and do formula. That's right. And you said, you know, just go one feeding at a time. And that's how we ended up combo feeding. That's right. Oh, wow. Well, the, the way I usually unpack this is, but let, let me preface this by saying it's not uncommon for many of my clients to have a moment or a few moments where they think they want to stop. But mm-hmm. I've had so many people hit a sweet spot in a creative way that mm-hmm. I encourage people never to wean cold turkey. Yeah. Well, and, and I, so, I, I mean, I was nursing so much. I don't think that would be advisable anyways. Totally. But in yeah. the process of aiming for a slow wean, I have watched so many people end up giving their babies weeks and or months or even years more Mm -hmm. of breast milk than they ever imagined just by slowing their roll. Like, I'm not telling you you can't wean. I'm not telling you you shouldn't wean. I'm just saying, let's get rid of one feeding a day until you hit your sweet spot or whatever the case may Mm -hmm. be. It sounds like I unpacked it a bit differently for you based on your situation. But yeah, you know, the other thing that you've talked about that I'm sure listeners will have lots of unique feelings about, and I'm sure that you with your training also have more perspectives than just your own. But, you know, I've watched triple feeding and the SNS, the supplemental nursing Mm -hmm. system, kind of be the death of people sometimes with breastfeeding because something ends up pushing people over the edge if we don't unpack it right and support them right. Right. So all of these things are fine and they're wonderful tools. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't use them, of course, but they only really work in the short to medium term. They are not forever solutions. So what is it that you have come to think? Is there some sort of a I know that I'm being generic and saying this, but is there some sort of a generic plan that you kind of have devised in your mind as like, this is my average starting place of how to handle mm-hmm. someone in this type of situation. Yeah. And then of course we individualize from there. Yeah, I think um, 
with triple feeding, there needs to be lots of follow-up support. And that's because I don't think as a parent, I had the perspective to say, this wasn't working for me. Like I was just truly trying to get through 10 feedings a day, triple feeding. Like I couldn't look past that. And so I think tons of follow-up support because otherwise you're like, well, this is what our lactation consultant said to do. This is what we're doing. Like done. And two weeks go by. And mentally as a parent, you're in a completely different place after two weeks of triple feeding than you were when you were shown this option. Um, I think the other thing would be, I'm really into like feeding goal setting. And that's because I think that's what comes out of, com that's, that was the key that came out of combo, combo feeding for me was, you know, what are our goals for how we feed them? Like, and in the sense of how is it working for our family? So I, my, my husband and I laugh, but my, my husband cooked meals for like four months. Like I couldn't even, I mean, once we started combo feeding in the evening gave me so much more freedom because he could feed the baby completely without me breastfeeding at all. Um, you know, what does it look like for your family? And I think with triple feeding, if you don't have a partner who has a work schedule that's convenient, at the time my husband was working from home, so he could help me wash pump parts. You know, he could prep everything for me and make it work, but you know, is that long-term what we want our family to look like? You know, is that our day-to-day? -day? And so I think goal setting outside of just, is the baby getting enough nutrition per day? You know, that, that can't be your only goal because the, the feeding parents' mental health is so important. You know, their partner's mental health is also so important. You know, my husband didn't like doing all of one thing and I didn't like doing all of another thing. That's not how our normal dynamic is in our relationship, in our lifestyle. And so I think of looking back on triple feeding, I should have known, or I, I wish I had the perspective to say, you know, this isn't working for us as a whole long-term. You know, past that like four or five weeks, it should have been, What's, what's good for us as a family? And if that meant me not pumping, that, you know, that's what we ultimately decided, me not pumping, that getting rid of that was key because it just, the time constraint of washing everything and we had multiple pump parts, you know, but washing everything and keeping track of how much do we have for the next feeding, that was a strain, that letting go of that, that was like the freedom to use formula that helped our family get back into balance. I remember that actually because it was interesting to me that you thought I'm ready to quit and wean. And then at the end of the day, the thing you got rid of was pumping and you continued to breastfeed. Yeah. So interesting. I think I gave up counting ounces too. I think for a little yeah. bit, there's, there's that ounce with triple feeding. Cause you're like, Oh, I have to fill up the S and S or I have to fill up the bottle. So yeah. there's also with pumping, let go of that ounce, the ounces. Yes. And that stress. Yeah. That's a theme that's coming up a lot. As we talk about breastfeeding on this podcast is there's a time and a place for data. And early mm -hmm. on in the early week, sometimes we need data, but we've got to let it go. Around the time that I was taking care of you, I was also taking care of someone who happens to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. um, and sh I think she got, I think this was tied into a bigger picture of anxiety and other things, but she got pretty caught up in doing weighted feeds on her own at home. Oh, yeah. And it was yeah. like every feeding was a weighted feed. Yeah. And that was crazy making. And it was a lot of, a lot, mm -hmm. it took a lot of work on all of our parts to get her to let that piece go in a oh, way yeah. that she could still feel safe. And so it's this fine line between using data appropriately and then overusing it to the point where we're not necessarily creating anxiety because it's a chicken or the egg, right? That can mm -hmm. be very hard to unpack. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm curious 
how your feeding plan evolved once you introduced solids. Like how did he do yeah. with solids yep. and how did that change things? So we worked with uh, an SLP, uh, an infant feeding specialist, for a bit after he had already started gaining weight at a, at a consistent, you know, expectable rate um, because we were worried about solids. And so she gave us lots of tips and we were very proactive um, in introducing straw cups. He had a, I call it a, we call it his chewy tubes or chewy toys, um, like a T-shaped toy that he would put, he could like put in the back of his mouth and practice moving his tongue from side to side. It gave him uh, a chance to chew on things from a really early age and get more jaw strength. Um, and so we, we tried for like, so that was around like four months to six months to continue with the feeding therapy at home. She had given us, you know, things to look for in exercises, things to introduce sooner. So that then at six months when he was ready to start solids, that he had more jaw strength. And he really, I mean, he had to build up quite a lot of muscle in his jaw um, and mobility in his tongue to be able to, to eat other foods. Um, but from there, you know, we presented things like you would for pretty much any other baby. We exposed him to new foods. We um, got him involved in the kitchen. We had uh, an appropriate high chair, so he was sitting comfortably and um, and just followed his lead. And still, you know, that's pretty much how we feed him. You know, if he, he wants to eat something or doesn't, <laughs> we're getting more into the toddler years where I'm like, wow, you ate you know, all of your bread before you ate your broccoli. Um, funny how that works. Uh, but we really, we continue to follow his lead. If something was making, and similarly, if something was making us uncomfortable, if it was a new food where I was like, oh, maybe this is too much of a challenge for him at this point, you know, and if I was uncomfortable with it, we tried it another day and I removed it from the plate. But we really tried to give him lots of opportunities before he actually was eating food to build up the strength that he needed. We also, for a while there, from like six months to a year, he would often have his tongue out of his mouth because he didn't close his jaw. Because again, like the, that jaw strength for him was really key. He wouldn't close his mouth, so he'd stick his tongue out. And so um, we were told to use straw cups. And so we used a lot, a lot of straw cups so he could practice you know, pinching his lips together and I mean, and I'll, we'll look back at pictures and be like, oh man, Sully, he's just got this uh, tongue hanging out of his mouth <laughs> all the time. I'd be like, put your tongue in your mouth, put your tongue in your mouth. Obviously he doesn't know. But um, we, we continued with, you know, our support staff and I could message our SLP with questions as we went. Um, but we did see, you know, feeding beyond, beyond just milk. And that was important because it also then changed how he nursed. We, I think around when we started solids was when he primarily started nursing to sleep because it, that's just kind of what worked for us. And we said, you know, what a, whatever balance he wants to take. If he was, you know, really high on solids for a week, you know, maybe getting a little bit more solids and maybe he nursed a little bit less and I just had to be okay with that. And honestly, what happened is he came right back around and got right back onto breastfeeding, <laughs> like what normally happens um, for breastfed babies. He really kind of followed a lot of those trajectories, incorporating solids with breast milk and then bottles like while he was awake. But for a while, it was a little bit of a dance and we just kind of followed his cues and he knows his body best. You know, I present opportunities to breastfeed just like I present opportunities to have macaroni and cheese at lunch like we did today. Um, but, but we just kind of followed his lead and I think that was now having 
much more of a toddler, that is also like very, it gets more difficult, but very key that he knows what he needs. And when it comes to food, when it comes to breastfeeding, when it comes to bottles, like he knew. I love that. I present opportunities to breastfeed. Yeah. I love that. Where are you at now? Yeah. yeah. So I, wean, I chose to wean him at four, 14 months. So we dropped, it was important to us again, we'd worked so hard to build up his oral skills. And we talked to the pediatrician and our SLP about dropping bottles at a year. So he was already weaning his bottles. He like wasn't finishing them. And I was like, cool, we're just gonna cut this out, add it into a straw cup instead. Um, but when I cut those out around 12 months, man, did his interest in breastfeeding really go up. <laughs> I became, I mean, it was like, we'd be out in public and he'd be coming over asking to nurse. I was like, dude, we're at music class. Like you nurse to sleep. Like, what are we doing right now? You cannot lift up my shirt and nurse in the middle of music <laughs> class. Like that's just a boundary that like he's never, he was never interested in that before. Like, why are you doing this now? Um, so at 14 months, I was like, this is not working for me anymore. And that's why I told my husband, I was like, you know what? I am equally a part of this relationship and it is not working for me because he would keep me there like a pacifier. And it mm-hmm. totally makes sense now when my son falls asleep, he wants to like grab my face and put it by his face. Like literally mm-hmm. like cheek to cheek. He just grabs me and like squishes me. So, you know, breastfeeding was comfort to him and I was yeah. totally okay with nursing him to sleep. But at 14 months, I said, I am no longer interested in being this part of your sleep routine. Mm-hmm. I need to not be the only person who puts you to sleep all the time. And so I weaned him cold turkey and I was shocked. I got engorged like, you know, I did in the early months. I was like, wow, I forgot about mm-hmm. this. Yes, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. super comfortable, um, but I held strong for, for two days and said, you know, this isn't an option anymore. I would hold him and, and tell, I, I insisted on still being the person to put him down and say, you know, I can hold you. I can sing to you. Like I am still here. But, but nursing is not an option anymore. And I just kind of affirm, he was very upset at first and then it got so much easier. And mm-hmm. after that, it was just like, okay, mom, mom is an equal part of this relationship. She is still here for me. There are other ways. And again, I know I keep coming back to why I love combo feeding, but you learn there's so many ways to comfort your baby when you combo feed. If it's, you can choose to breastfeed them for comfort or you can choose to, I love taking a shower actually with my son. That's my favorite parenting hack right now is to take like a 20 minute shower and he just plays like on the floor or we sing together, you know, we, I give him foot massages. Like you learn, I can choose to breastfeed or I can choose all these other ways to comfort my child. And when I decided to wean him, that's exactly what I told him is there are all these other ways that I know I can be here for you. And that's, I mean, those are things we still use today, right? Like putting your child to sleep and he's still very much a baby yet a year and a half. <laughs> um, but I feel so much more comfortable with our breastfeeding journey because I feel like I had a lot more say. And in those early months, you, it did not feel like I had a say. And I think that's just because I said, I'm going to exclusively breastfeed and I didn't let myself think outside the box. Or I was, I was maybe, um, I think I had a bit of analysis paralysis for a little bit. I was like, just so in, again, triple feeding, making it 10 feedings a day, day after day, pumping. Like I didn't really have the capacity to think what, what else could we be doing? But once we turn that corner, like I'm so proud of looking back and for future children too, like if we don't breastfeed at all, like that is totally okay with me. And I mean, that's why I said going in, I would think 
I think initially when I was like three months postpartum, I'd be like, no, like, I'm, a, I'm a breastfeeding parent. Like I will always breastfeed all of my children. Like this works for us. I enjoy this. But, you know, looking forward, I'm like, you know, there are so many ways I could feed a child. And thank God we live in 2022 and I get to pick, you know, the variety of ways to feed my child. Like that is such a beautiful, powerful thing. And I get, I get to choose to be a part of that. You know, I choose to say, yes, I have options and this is what's going to work for me. But initially I just thought, oh, I'm a breastfeeding parent. I kind of locked myself into that. Now I'm like so proud that I said, let's look at something else, you know. You know, what's so interesting to me in listening to you talk with, you know, this much removed from your early days Mm -hmm. is, you know, you started your journey as someone who had had a breast reduction and didn't know if you could breastfeed. So you had made peace with not breastfeeding. Then you found you had a great milk (laughs) supply and you were like, by golly, I'm an exclusive breastfeeder. And then it evolved into what it evolved into. So it's just it's a representation, I think, of all the ways in which we evolve as humans, as mm-hmm. women, as mothers, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's so interesting to hear this bit of your story. Uh, one more question about your specific situation, and then I want to make sure that you add in anything that we may have missed yeah. that you think is critical. Um, other than the speech like like lactation consultant and speech lactation. language pathologist, mm-hmm. are there other specialists that ended up involved that yeah. I'm not remembering? So we also worked with a physical therapist. Um, we did myofascial release for Sully. He did, I think he only ended up needing like three sessions and it was, it was pretty intense. She even worked in his mouth, just touching different parts of his mouth that his tongue literally could never reach before. Like he had never had the sensation of, you know, like his back molars being touched or anything like that. So that was the role that she played. He did have a lot of tension from partly from his, his mouth, but then also I think, you know, he kind of had some torticollis going on. So she really helped integrate what the, the feeding therapist was doing alongside us. And we went with PT. Some people go with a chiropractor, but our PT was covered by insurance and our SLP was not. So we chose to invest. It, it's hard to find a feeding therapist in our area. So we chose to invest in the feeding therapist and use our insurance for lactation and PT. I would definitely add our pediatrician as part of our feeding team because he, I mean, he, so he was my pediatrician and my mom went to this practice. Like it is an old school practice, but I love it so much because he was interested in hearing about what we were working on. So oftentimes when you hear of babies going through some of these feeding challenges, you know, formula can be suggested as the best option. He understood that that wasn't going to be the best option for, for Sully because taking bottles was not working. So he, I would also say he was because if he had, you know, raised concerns or said no to something, I think I would have double checked a lot of our other support. But the fact that he was able to learn and listen alongside us, I would definitely add him to our team. Yeah. And I want to harp on that point for a minute for the providers that are listening in on this episode is that sometimes we as providers we don't have to know it all. And I think that we get ourselves Mm -hmm. caught up in this feeling of like needing to know it all. And that can come out in various ways, depending on someone's personality. Mm -hmm. It can come out as authoritarian. It can come out as you don't know, you're the patient, I'm the provider. It can come out in a lot of different ways. But all patients, clients, people, parents, families want from us is our openness and understanding. And 
being able to say, wow, I've not seen anyone do it this way before, but I'm interested in following along and I'll monitor the health of your baby while you do it. And I trust you as the mother to make these decisions. It goes so far. And I think we providers have to do a better job of accepting that we don't know everything, nor are we responsible for every single decision and every moment of things, right? Like, especially I'm a midwife. After 28 days of a newborn's life, I am not legally responsible for the baby anymore. I'm not allowed to be. My training doesn't allow me to be the primary care provider for a baby after 28 days of life. So that I think midwives, it's easier for us sometimes to be collaborative and be open-minded because of some of the parameters around what we do and, and who we are the experts around. Uh, but I think that can be harder sometimes for other professionals mm-hmm. who feel an even greater responsibility to, quote, know it all. Yeah. Well, I, I will also add, we saw a different pediatrician once for a weight check. And I, he, he was, you know, our pediatrician was out of the office that day. And he didn't have our full story, but we told him, oh, he, you know, I think we probably said, oh, he has a tongue tie. We just had it released. And I remember him being like, uh, uh, tongue tie? Like, are you, you know, like, are you sure? Like, I remember feeling this, like, oh. But our pediatrician knew my son's weight history. I showed him, you know, what it looked like him taking a bottle. He knew there had to be more to the picture. So if this other pediatrician had just said, oh, tongue ties are a fad, he doesn't know the whole story. You know, taking that time to say what's working for this parent, that was huge. And it was fine. It was just a weight check. I wasn't bothered by it. But it was a very different experience than our pediatrician who was supportive, who knew our story, who knew what our feeding goals were and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I think that's, that's super clear. Yeah. Um, So is there anything else about your story that you want to share that we maybe have missed in jumping around a little bit? Um, I think the main thing I would add is just like, if you don't have, if you don't know someone who has combo fed, like I only had one friend who had a baby before me and she had this magical, perfect breastfeeding experience. Like she really didn't have any breastfeeding education with her second child. She now has, it was very different, right? Your second versus your first sometimes breastfeeding. But that was all I knew was just like, she fed her baby. That was it. Um, And if you don't have friends who feed in a variety of ways, I highly encourage you to find other parents that formula feed, find parents that combo feed, find parents that exclusively breastfeed because the amount that we have shared I think I had I mentioned briefly a friend who pumping wasn't working for her they completely switched to formula you know and we have great talks about different things but having a diversity I think of friends who feed in different ways that has also been really helpful in our feeding journey because they they ask good questions sometimes maybe better questions than family and I think it's kind of enriched all of our parenting journeys to understand our, our kids look great, you know? I see them all the time, they're close in age, they're all growing, doing their own thing, they all have their own personalities, and how we feed them has nothing to do with that. They're gonna be who they're gonna be, and we get to parent the way we get to parent. But having the diversity in friends, I think, was also really, really helpful. And that was something I remember when finishing our work with you, Tanya, was saying, okay, go find the community that you need. Like, go find your mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I rejoined the world, but that helped. Yeah. Totally. Um, All right. So my last question for you is, and this is where you really get to put on your professional cap. Um, My last question for you is, 
Can you, in very clear terms, unpack the variations of what combo feeding can look like? And I mean, I'm saying, I'm lit- and I mean to say, like combo feeding for idiots, if it were a book, yep. like what's yep. the easy way so that people, I'm very literal. And sometimes if things aren't spelled out for me, I kind of, it yep. feels really theoretical and heady until I've heard like, oh, now that I see it spelled out, now I can take it to the next level myself. Yeah, so... Combo feeding is using breast milk and formula and in various ways. So you can feed at the chest. I think you could also pump and add formula and breast milk into a bottle. I would also call that combo feeding. Um, it's the, the purchasing a formula, prepping a formula that to me distinguishes combo feeding. And if that is one bottle a day, if that is eight bottles a day and you're really just comfort nursing, that's still combo feeding. Um, It could be that you nurse first and then you give a bottle. Maybe you nurse one side and then give a bottle. Maybe you nurse both sides and give a bottle. Maybe you give a bottle during the day and then nurse to sleep. That's what ended up working for us. For a lot of parents too, if pumping isn't working at work or, or also nurses who work at night. We have a lot of nurses in our family who work at night and they use formula at night and then they nurse during the day or vice versa you send formula to daycare so you don't pump at work and then you come home and nurse your baby Um, it really and that again that can change throughout the course of their year we know they babies need breast milk or formula up until 12 years or 12 years gosh 12 months of age and so you know maybe for a little bit you send formula maybe you send breast milk to daycare Maybe you say, you know, I cannot do the middle of the night feedings anymore. Maybe use a formula bottle at night. Um, for a while too, I think I'm, I was comfortable nursing outside of the house. It was just finding the time sometimes to nurse, you know, when we're away from the house. And so if we were like running to the store, I would take a bottle of formula with me and then I would just nurse immediately when we got home. And that, I mean, if your supply allows it like mine did, I could have like that much variability even in a day. It's just formula and breast milk and however, however it works for you. Yeah. And how I work that out with people when they aren't exclusively breastfeeding or that's not their goal or they've changed their goals is simply a gentle reminder of the way supply and demand works so that they never accidentally go too far in one direction and then go, if I had only known that I was going to screw this up. I may have made a different choice, but as long as they understand supply and demand, I'm just constantly checking in and saying, are you comfortable with the Mm -hmm. amount of breast milk and the amount of formula or the amount of pumped milk or whatever it is that's at play? Are you, are you comfortable with this? Are, is this sustainable for you? Is this helping with your mental health, your sleep, whatever the issues are, you can't ever look at feeding in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. When we do we cause much greater problems. And I think, you know, for you, that was that first month or a little more when you were triple feeding and realized it wasn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to be on the lookout for as providers and as clients coming Mm -hmm. into this with just enough knowledge to know that the sky's the limit in terms of your decision making, but you're going to need support to make it happen. Because when you're in the thick of it, you cannot make these decisions for yourself. You need someone to ask you. Yeah. Right? You need yeah. someone to ask you, like, is this working for you? Yes. Is, are you getting enough sleep? Because that was the other thing. I only got four hour stretches of sleep for 
you know, like four months. But then also I was constantly feeding during the day. So like there wasn't yeah. time to do anything else. And so yep. having someone ask, you know, are you sleeping enough? I remember you asking that quite often. And then also I think as like a provider saying, like checking in later. Like I love that we get so much lactation support at the beginning, but man, like six months, nine months, like I, I mean, we checked in with ourselves. Like I felt like we had that skill, but coming back and saying, you know, is it still working for you? Cause again, like yeah. I reached 14 months and I was like, nursing is breastfeeding is not working for me anymore. And I was able yep. to say that. I think a lot of people have guilt even weaning at two years because they think mm-hmm. they still should keep going because they can. And yeah. I also think of for combo feeding parents with, with low supply who, you know, have to incorporate formula. They're not producing enough to, to nurse exclusively. Do you have to max out your entire supply for 12 months? You know, is there a tipping point when you say, I am okay losing a little bit to gain somewhere else in my life? Absolutely. And with, with low supply, it's so hard because you're like, oh, it's, I have it. Like, this is what I have. I want to give all of it. That's how I felt exclusively breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. But can that sustain for 12 months? Yeah. Yeah. And on the note of support, I just want to point out that, and you did, you became so confident in who you were in this area that you didn't need to check in with me at some point. You like, you just, when you got it, you got it. Yeah. But in terms of that support piece and using support later on, my program has actually evolved because of the ongoing connections that I have to clients and people like you who have stuck <laughs> out, stuck it out and stayed in touch with me. Um, in that, you know, now when the program wraps up, first of all, everyone chooses when they end the program. It's now a monthly subscription mm-hmm. program and yes. people are in control of when to turn it on and when to turn it off. But when they go to turn it off, they can go one of two directions. We can go to just texting only if that is the piece of it that's helping the most, mm-hmm. or they can turn it off and just schedule visits whenever they need them. Yeah. Um, and that allows people to kind of like stick with it. And I totally have people who check in with me at six months, at one yeah. year. I'm ready to wean. I need help doing that. Um, yeah. I don't have a period yet and I want another baby. What do I do, <laughs> Tanya? Right? Like yeah. all of the different things. There's so many variations of what comes down the pike and people need to talk about these things. So it's no longer the case that it's like 12 weeks, program's over. I just wanted to like point that out because yes. when Andrea was in the program, it was like my earliest iteration of this program and it I was, was yeah, 12 I was weeks. I so not ready. <laughs> I know. I was so close. I was so close though. We made the big changes and the clarity came. But yeah, it's, and it's also like, I remember being like, 12 weeks goes so fast. Yeah. 12 weeks goes so fast. Like how, I don't know if I'm there yet. <laughs> the days are long and the, the years, years are, are short. short. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I pulled that one out when my daughter turned 22 this year. Like, I don't, it's, it's crazy. And these cliches that are so obnoxious, right, that mm-hmm. we roll our eyes at for half of our lifetime. And then suddenly we fall on the other side of the equation and we find ourselves saying and believing yeah. them. <laughs> and it's so crazy. Yeah. So it's nice to hear you acknowledge, even with this little bit of distance, like that 12 weeks went so fast. Yeah. But again, in the moment, if we asked you to think beyond two weeks, you would have been hard pressed to do it. Yeah, yeah. And so. also though, in, in the same sense, like the first four months as we were going through this feeding journey, like, and I remember you telling us, you said, you are gonna make leaps and bounds as parents if you stick, if you stick with it. And that's exactly what happened. We came out as like completely different people, so much more competent parents, you know, so much more perspective. And, and yeah, the, the impact of, of those early days is, is so profound. Andrea, I am so thrilled to have you 
as a birth worker now <laughs> and a lactation consultant. And I am so thrilled that I'm going to get to keep a close eye on your journey. Um, it, are you, I know you're not quite up and running yet because you just took your exam. I just yes. want to double check. Is there a way for listeners to learn more about you or are you not quite there and I can just update them in the future? Yeah, so um, not quite there yet. I will say I'm going, I, I think I have picked a, a name at least, and that would be Combo Feeding Support, because when I was looking for combo feeding knowledge, that's what I typed into Google, and I found absolutely nothing. So while I would be so thrilled to work with breastfeeding, exclusively breastfeeding families, exclusively formula feeding families, those combo feeding families to me are just like the little, like we're just the lost, <laughs> the lost feeding parents. And so combo feeding support will be, will be hopefully um, me one day on the internet. <laughs> That's awesome. I think you should reserve the URL right now if yes. you haven't already. <laughs> yeah. Right Very when my good. vacation ends tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to tell your story and share your growing knowledge base because you know a lot and you're going to help so many people. Thank you, Tanya. That means so much, Carmen. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. It's me, Tanya, your host here at the Motherwit Podcast. You know I sometimes invite my clients on the show to talk about their birth stories and postpartum experiences, but I want to tell you a little bit more about what those clients and I actually do together. I started Motherwit to help people in the perinatal period achieve their health and wellness goals. That means whether you're hoping to conceive and struggling with high blood pressure or high blood sugar, or you're having trouble managing anxiety or depression in the postpartum period, or maybe you just need support and advocacy between prenatal or postpartum visits, I can help. Get a discount on your first consultation with me at motherwitmaternity.com using the code FIRSTCONSULT10% OFF. That's 10% symbol, all one word. I'm looking forward to working with you and maybe having you on the show too.